All right. Well, as we go through this, our series, Speaking Truth to Power, I've been thinking, what is power exactly? Many of you know that I'm a total nerd, and the first thing that pops in my head when I think about the concept of power is the idea of superpowers. I grew up buried in Marvel and DC movies, and perhaps the most iconic of which is the 1978 Superman film with Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman. Now, I'm going to spoil the movie, so you've had 42 years to watch it, so I'm sorry. But in the movie, Lex Luthor, is play, who's played by Gene Hackman, launches two ballistic missiles. Uh, one to New Jersey and one to the West Coast, and knowing that Superman can't stop both of them. However, Superman still tries, and he gets the one from New Jersey first, leaves it out to space, but it's too late, and the missile that hits the West Coast starts mass earthquakes and his beloved Lois Lane dies. And out of grief, uh, Superman flies so fast that he goes back in time to save her life. And Lex Luthor is arrested. Lois and Superman get to live to see another day and they all live happily ever after. But here's the problem. You're not Superman. You don't have the ability to go back in time and fix the world. You don't have the power to stand up against nuclear missiles, let alone the evil geniuses who might launch them. You can't just beat somebody up to save the day because the idea of Superman is fun, but it's fiction. That kind of power is just a pipe dream that isn't real. And when you compare yourself to Superman, you are utterly powerless. It makes sense that people become hopeless and demoralized when they're faced with adversity because our heroes and the people we look up to make it all look so easy. As a culture, forget a moment just trying to speak truth to political powers, but what about the powers that influence your everyday life? Perhaps your friendships or your kids' teachers. Maybe it's your own short-term desires that are keeping you from succeeding with money. Or maybe it's trying to keep your parents or your in-laws happy. But I know there, there's something personal in all of us that we feel we need to do, but for some reason, you just can't bring yourself to do it because there is some kind of power that will react negatively to this course of action. And so you sit, listen to that power and keep hoping that it goes away or changes. The truth, however, is that we're called to speak truth to all kinds of powers and those seemingly small and common, there probably are no greater powers you will oppose than your own personal insecurities. And as Christians, it's your responsibility to speak truth to them. But how exactly do we do that? Well, today we're going to learn how King David speaks truth to power, but this time he uses the position God placed him in to make his argument for him. So if you would turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. And if you don't have your Bible next to you, the text will be on the side of your screen in the chat feature. So just to give you a little context of what's happening here. David has been made king, and while the kingdom was under his predecessor, Saul, the capital was Gibeah, where Saul was from. Uh, but David had his eyes towards Jerusalem, and he would, after he was crowned king, David conquered the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And after that battle was done, uh, David returns to Gibeah because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And for those of you who don't know, the Ark of the Covenant was the physical presence of God. And so this is where we pick up from the text. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, 
and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, that ephod is important. A lot of people speculate that an ephod is a type of undergarment because of what follows, but it's very important to understand what an ephod is. An ephod is a specific type of garment that was worn by a priest, and it looks kind of like an apron. The Levitical priests had to wear an ephod that was made with gold and 12 special gemstones that represented God, the Garden of Eden, and the 12 tribes of Israel. But the ephod that David uh, wears here seems to be much more humble. It's a simple linen apron. It's important to note this detail because by doing this, David's claiming that he's a priest. Now, when a king or a military leader conquered another kingdom in the ancient world, the champion king would often inherit the titles of the, new, of the previous king of the city. So the king of Jerusalem had a very special title. In addition to being monarch, the king of Jerusalem was to act as a priest to the God Most High. So when David conquers Jerusalem, he's now a king, the political and military leader of the kingdom of Israel, but he's also to be the spiritual figurehead for the people of Israel, along with the Levitical priests. So now if you're both a priest and a king, your expectation for your two roles may come in conflict with one another. And we see this right away as David chooses to wear a plain linen ephod rather than his majestic kingly wardrobe. So to illustrate this, I want uh, you to look at these two pictures of the Queen, uh, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth. So here in this first picture, she, um, it's actually three pictures. See how she's adorned in just beautiful jewelry. Her hair is done with such utter care to highlight the different tiara in each picture. Each uh, picture she's wearing different jewelry that must cost probably millions of dollars. And look how her makeup is presented with such care. So you wouldn't even realize that she's actually wearing a lot of makeup. Now, look at this other picture of this nameless nun. She's not wearing any makeup at all. Her habit is covering most of her hair, but the bit of that's showing, it, you can tell it's graying. And it's at the point where you can pro she could probably get away with dyeing it darker, but she doesn't even bother to do that. Her clothes are very plain and her collar is not perfectly pressed because who's she trying to impress? And I'm not trying to point out the difference to say that one's right and one's wrong, but just to show that there is a difference and that it's striking. And everyone around King David would have noticed that on that day. To wear the ephod, he would have had to disregard his royal robe, probably purple or another bright color that would signify wealth and power. And instead, he wore a humble linen ephod. He literally took off clothes that came with a perception of power, laid them down, and put on a garment that if you know God, it's of greater power than anything else. We continue in verse 15. So, David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Again, we see the difference between a way a king usually acts which would be strikingly different from what we see here. Silence is unsettling, and that is a major reason why stoic people come off as so much more powerful. Think the strong and silent type. But this isn't David here. This doesn't look like the guy who killed Goliath or his tens of thousands. 
this doesn't look like The Rock who would be a formidable action hero. This is Kevin Hart dancing and joking around. This is a guy who doesn't care what people think, which isn't always the case for him. You can see this later in the story with Bathsheba. But in this moment, he is using his position as wholly devoted to God to worship him because there's nothing more important to him in that moment. So back to the text, verse 16. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, McCall, the daughter of Saul. Now notice here how it doesn't say the wife of David, but the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And this is a duty for the priest. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, again, saying, uh, drawing attention to that this is Saul's daughter, not his wife, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today. And you could just read the sarcasm in here. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. Here we see McCall wrongly rebukes David for his perceived lack of decorum. And by calling her the daughter of Saul, instead of defining her by her relationship with her husband, the author here is implying that McCall is communicating, my father would never have done such a thing. She's telling David that you aren't acting like a king should. You're not a shepherd boy anymore. You're not some worthless or vulgar fellow. Stop acting like one and start acting like my father. But here's the thrust of the text. David says, the Lord chose me. The Lord chose me over your father. It is David who gets to act as priest, not Saul. It's David that gets to be the representative of God for the people and not her father. God placed David in this unique position of being a figurehead for both the people of Israel and for God to the people. When McCall says that David isn't acting like her father, David's response is good. If he were to act like Saul, he would have been ineligible for this role. But God chose him to be priest to the God most high. And therefore, it doesn't matter what Saul would or would not have done because Saul was never in that position in the first place. It only matters what David does. Now, you might be listening to this and maybe learning something about ancient Near Eastern culture, but are thinking, so what? How does this affect me? In this position, we see how God has ordained David to be in a specific, specific position, a priest. And this is known as positional authority. Positional authority could mean a type of job that gives a person power or authority over others. Examples include the president over the armed forces or a 
manager over his employees. And some of you listening have vocational positions of authority. Dave and Damaris are in a position of spiritual authority over this church. Um, we have a few people here who are teachers who are in a position of authority over their students. And at the very least, many of you are in a position of familial authority over your children or as a role model to a younger sibling. But positional authority extends beyond just relationships to people. It also extends to your stewardship of the resources you control. If you have any money, even if it's only a dollar, you are in a position of using that dollar for whatever purpose you want. If you, want, if you own an animal, you're responsible for its behavior. If you own property, you are often responsible for the things that take place on your property. For example, if you own a restaurant and someone slipped on your floor because you didn't have a wet floor sign out, you're held responsible. And every one of you has an area of responsibility. This thing, whatever it is, is under your control. And it might not be much, but you're in charge of this. I want you to think about what is under your control versus what isn't. So when the powerful forces tell you what you should be doing, like David, you can confront them. It's you that's in this position and not anyone else. God has placed each and every one of you in a specific position. And you are the one who will be held accountable for certain areas of your life. And I'm not saying to ignore wise counsel. By all means, listening to others will help you make the best decisions. But if you ever get bad advice, it's still on you. These are the areas that your life, where the buck stops with you. And you need to identify what these areas are because insecurities have no place to govern your life when you are supposed to be the authority. When you listen to your insecurities, you effectively surrender your authority to something or someone else. David did not surrender his authority to appease McCall's vision of what a king should look like, but many of us do this all the time. Surrendering your authority is when you overlook red flags and the person you're dating because being with them is better than being alone. Surrendering authority is not voting as an eligible citizen because it's not like it matters. Surrendering your authority is passing discipling your kids onto the children's ministry or youth group because they'll do a better job. No, they won't because you are in that position and only you can be. So who or what are the powers that feed into your insecurities? Maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe it's a perceived lack of preparation. Maybe you just want to keep the peace. But whatever it is, it's keeping you from actually exercising the authority in which you've been given by God. I'll give you an example from my own life. While, David, uh, while, in, uh, while in Dallas, I used to volunteer with a group called Our Calling. This was a ministry that serves the homeless population, but it's not a shelter. In fact, one of the primary works that they do is their search and rescue program. Instead of being a place where the homeless come to get a meal and sleep indoors, the ministry goes out to where the homeless people are. Now that sounds nice, but many people do it because many people won't do it because it sounds like it's very different from what it is. You're not just talking to a few random people on street corners and that alone might be scary enough. You're climbing under bridges. You're walking a quarter mile into empty fields because you smell someone cooking on an open fire. You're walking into camps or in some cases, a slum might be a better word for it. And you're having conversations with people from all walks of life with extreme mental health disorders, some that are just lonely and they'll talk for hours. And none of these people would be welcome in our churches. Even um, we would even go out sometimes 
and we would talk with transgender prostitutes and, and their pimps. And in order to do that job, you have to check your insecurities at the door. But for me, fast forward, and now that I've done this a few times, I've been trained on what to do and say, and I see a man having a moment at a gas station. He's obviously homeless. And I get the feeling that I need to go and talk to this guy, just ask him what's wrong. But this time I'm with someone else. And all I can think about is the perception this person has of me and if they will think I'm weird or odd, or maybe they'll feel uncomfortable, or maybe it wouldn't be safe, or maybe you fill in the blank. So I just moved along. And the truth is I was called that day to use my time and energy and training for a purpose. And I surrendered my authority and my power to my insecurity of needing to be liked. So as you wrestle with this over the course of the next week, I want you to take a moment every morning or evening to pray this prayer surrendered, prayer of serenity. It's the prayer that's commonly associated with Alcoholics Anonymous. And you can look it up on Google, but it's so short that you might be able to memorize it right now. And this is it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. It's imperative that you identify these things so that you can trust God in the areas that you are not in control, but also be moved and take courage to speak truth to the powers that keep you from exercising your positional authority because God has given you power too. And like David, I wanna be able to celebrate in it. I wanna be able to celebrate in enthusiasm because that's what we're called to do. But first we must address what keeps us from worshiping at all. I started this message talking about one superhero film and I'm going to end our time with a different one. Uh, in Captain America Civil War, Steve Rogers is confronted with this dilemma. He can either sign a contract that surrenders all his authority to the United Nations, which he doesn't trust can do the right thing, or he can take his chances and act as an independent superhero and save the day his way, but that would ultimately make him a war criminal in the eyes of the law. And that's when he hears this, hears this quote, compromise when you can, where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right even if the whole world is telling you to move. It is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say, no, you move. Pray with me. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Give us the understanding and power to overcome our insecurities and help us to recognize the power we have been given. Help us to be more aware of the position that you have placed us so that we can look to David as an example and declare the position you gave us over those who would rather believe that we ought to be doing something else and celebrate in your work for us. Help us to steward our lives and our power well. And it is in your son's name we pray. Amen.